This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Open up your Bibles to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 5 to 13, we're continuing the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, once said, the way that you defend the Bible is like a lion. You simply let the lion out of the cage, the lion will defend itself. And so and so the Bible. How do you know that the Bible is reliable and inspired? You simply study the word, you allow the word to speak, and you start to see the power of the word, the wisdom of the word, how it is life-giving. That you don't have to defend it in all these other ways, which is helpful when you look at the historicity of it, but also simply let the word speak. But what I want to tell you today is, it's the same with Jesus. Once you start to really understand Jesus, his power, the, the works, his life, but also his wisdom, when you see his wisdom, you start to see his beauty, you start to see his deity, you start to see that he is a God worth following. Because in 57 words in the Greek, he teaches his disciples how to pray. And once you start to really see the depth and the riches of these 57 words, you start to see not just how beautiful prayer is, you start to see how beautiful and wise Jesus is. And if you start to see how beautiful and wise Jesus is, it drives you to prayer But also, as you learn to pray, it drives you to Jesus. And I think that's why it's the only thing that Jesus taught in in terms of specific words for us to know. And so with that, I want us to learn to pray. Tell your neighbor, learn how to pray. Learn how to pray. Because as you do, you know God, you know Jesus. As you learn how to pray, you let God change your heart. As you learn how to pray, you learn how to allow God to use you to change the world. It's this gift that we don't know how to use. And so let's learn how to pray. Matthew 6, 5 to 13. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, and let's read these words together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He first shows you how to pray by showing you how not to pray. And he shows you how not to pray so that you would recognize, oh, that's what I do, so that you would recognize 
the bad habits. These are blind spots. And he helps you realize, don't pray like a hypocrite. That word is simply, in that time, like an actor. People who would act, right? They were being hypocritical in the sense where you're doing one thing, but it's not true. And what Jesus is saying is don't pray in a way where you're not truly praying. And that is truly the most common mistake. That we don't understand prayer, and so we think we're praying, but we're not authentically, truly praying. That's the heart of the, of the common mistake in prayer. We do it to gain favor. We, do, we pray these long prayers to maybe gain favor with God, to receive things. But Jesus even says, don't pray to simply receive things, because God already knows what you need. So the question is, is asked, then why do we pray if we're not asking for things? And then you realize the wisdom of Jesus and how foolish we are in terms of what we think prayer is. We think prayer is asking God for all these things. And Jesus is saying, that's a blind spot. That is not what prayer is. That is not why you're gifted prayer. Yes, you pray for things. Yes, you ask for things. But if that's the heart and the reason that you pray, you will always question its effectiveness. And so what you see is when Jesus teaches you the heart of prayer, our Father in heaven, right? Two weeks ago, we went through that. If you are not like a child, secure in this relationship with God, you will always use prayer to gain favor and righteousness. So you have to understand that you are a child of God, bought uh, by, the, by the blood and work and life of Jesus. When you know that that is a rock-solid foundation that you have for your relationship with God, you can go to God at any time for whatever reason, that's when you have the heart of prayer, that's the foundation, hallowed be your name, is the motivation. If that's not your, your highest goal in prayer, you're going the wrong way on a two-way street. Right? It's, prayer is like a street, two ways. But it's designed so that it only goes one way, right? like the streets of here in Korea. Right? A lot of these alleyways, if they're small enough just to go one way, but you see cars go the wrong way often, you're still on the street of prayer, going the wrong way, right? So you still sometimes encounter God, sometimes you're actually going and you, know, you can get to one direct, one destination to another, right? Simply going the wrong way on one-way streets. You can, just ineffective, dangerous, not used the proper way. And that's the idea. Hallowed be your name, it's this direction. We're not simply asking God, give me these things, but now we're saying, God, everything of me, I want to give to you. If that's not the, not, if that's not the direction of your prayer, you'll always question its effectiveness. And then the petition after that is your kingdom come. And then you start to realize how absolutely essential it is that you learn how to pray. Because those words, your kingdom, cry, your kingdom come, is a cry in battle. Asking God, your kingdom come. It's the battle for God's kingdom. That is why we pray. That there is a battle, and you have to be aware of this battle, because if you're not aware of this battle, you won't see the need to pray. Because in your heart, there is a battle. It's a struggle in your heart. Tell your neighbor the struggle is real. Right? Struggle is real. 
in prayer, isn't that? Right? I've never met a person that says, oh, it's so easy to pray. Oh, I pray for hours at a time. It's so easy. I love it. Never met a person. The people that I've met who do, I think they know how to pray, they're always saying, I'm just beginning. I'm just learning. Because I think they do. They are on that street, but they realize how long it is and how much more that they have to go. And they realize there is a real struggle. Because the question is, why are we even praying this prayer? Because aren't we then assuming that, that there is already another kingdom? Do you see that? There is an assumption. Jesus already has an assumption. The reason we're praying this prayer, your kingdom come, is assuming there is another kingdom already present. And until you see that there is another kingdom already present, you won't see the need to pray that prayer, your kingdom come. Right? That's why for so many of us, we long for home for the first time living here abroad. Never longed for home because you're always at home, right? And you never longed for Chick-fil-A. Well, you did, but not like how you do today because now you're in a different kingdom, a different nation, longing for home. You have that ache, that longing all the more because you recognize you're not at home. And that's what this prayer is saying. We're not at home. We're not in God's kingdom. And so we're praying, God, your kingdom come. And you need to see the reality of this. So turn your, uh, turn your, your, turn your eyes to the slide, to Ephesians 6. And we went through this last year, but it shows you when earth and heaven, the spiritual is opened up, and you realize all that goes on in the background, what you see is that there is a war that our eyes are blind to. It says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then through this, you start to see uh, this idea to stand, right? In verse 11, stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13 uh, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. It's a picture of war, right? Right. You could uh, picture this in the movies. Two forces, two, 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 um, uh, two groups coming together. And as the group is coming, Often the commander says, stand, stay, don't move, hold the ground. Because you see the forces coming. And that's the picture. The forces are coming, and Jesus is saying, stand. Don't fear, stand. It shows you this, this constancy of Satan's attack. And we see it. We see it in the news. We see it in our lives. Right? The older I get when people ask me, hey, how's life? Basically, when things are not going bad, when things are not hard, I say it's great. Before, right, when I was my children's age, a good day was going to the amusement park. Every other day is whatever. You grow, you, you live long enough, what happens? Those days when no one's sick, when no one's dying. Right? There's no hardships in the lives of the people around me. That's a good day. Right? Because 
This is the world that we live in. It's completely broken. The attacks are constant. It's camouflaged, right? The schemes of the devil, meaning he's working, and you don't even see him. Right? You don't even recognize the evil around you because he's working. He's scheming. It's camouflaged. It's constant. It's close to the heart. It says, uh, do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. That word wrestle is literally hand-to-hand combat. You ever get into a fight with somebody? I know most of you probably have, right? You guys look like gangsters. Uh, the reality is many of us have not, but many of us can remember maybe a time when we used to wrestle with our siblings, right? And you would, you would get on the ground, you would wrestle. How long would that last, right? Two minutes? Three minutes. You ever like really wrestle with somebody? You, you wrestle for like five minutes, you're exhausted because it's close. It takes a lot out of you. That's the word. As you are in this battle, it's this wrestling, it's this hand-to-hand combat, and you recognize it's not easy because what Satan's after are the things that you care for, things that are close to your And so you recognize this is also why we have a hard time praying. This is often why we don't pray, because we're defeated. We're tired. We're hopeless. So all the more when you realize the lack of desire to pray really does show us how much we need to pray, your kingdom come. Because it's a prayer in battle. It's a prayer that you pray when you have no hope. It's a prayer that you pray when you don't have all the answers. You're simply praying, God, you glorify your name. You hallow your name. God, you bring your kingdom here. We're not even praying, God, may I be a part of that. We're not even praying that yet. Because our hope is in God, asking God, bring your kingdom here. We see that today, right? With COVID-19, right? What do we do? What steps do we take? And you recognize God needs to come. God needs to intervene. We don't just need medicine. We need a new kingdom. We need new bodies, right? That's the idea. It's this battle that we have. It's this fight that takes place. But the fight is not simply in the spiritual realm. And you need to see that. The fight, this battle, where is this battle? The place of God's kingdom. The battle is in your heart. God's kingdom coming is not territorial. It's not like it's divided South Korea, North Korea, you've crossed the DMZ, you're in North Korea. This space, Hamilton, is not God's kingdom. The idea of God's kingdom is where he rules, where people hear, know, obey, worship. And so in your hearts, is where the kingdom of God reigns. In your heart when you believe, in your heart when you obey, kingdom of God reigns. And that's where the battle is. The spiritual battle that it's talking about in Ephesians, yes, it's a spiritual realm, and that spiritual realm is most clear in our hearts. And when we pray that prayer, your kingdom come, what we're praying for, we're asking God, God, not just your kingdom come here in Korea, we're praying, your kingdom come in my heart. That's what we're praying for. God, your kingdom come in my heart. God's kingdom comes down in our hearts 
moves forward through your heart by God reigning in your hearts. God's kingdom, slide, uh, comes down in our hearts and moves forward through our hearts by God reigning in our hearts. So when you pray that prayer, what you're praying for is not just God, you reign, your name be hallowed, but you're praying, God, your kingdom come, yes, here in this nation, yes, here in this world. But truly the most authentic, sincere prayer that you can pray is, God, your kingdom come in my heart, in my heart. You reign. Uh, in, uh, in the story of Jacob that many of you know, uh, it pictures this well in physical form. In Genesis 32, it, it uh, shows this picture of Jacob. If you know the story of Jacob, Jacob lives his life completely for himself, for most of his life, right? And it's in this uh, chapter, in chapter 32, that God tells Jacob to go back home. It's been about 20 years. So he's scared because the last time he was at home was when he stole the birthright from his older brother Esau and he was going to kill him. And so their mother, instead of protecting Jacob, says, Jacob, go, because she can't protect him because Esau is that angry. And so Jacob leaves, go to Laban's place, his uncle's place. It's in Laban's place. He deceives Laban, deceives two women to basically marry him. And can continually, his life has been about not necessarily, God, your kingdom come. His life has been about my kingdom come. It's about me, my glory, what I want. And so in Genesis 32, He's on his way back. He's on his way back. And he tells Esau, word is, is it's given to Esau saying, hey, brother, I'm coming home. And the word that he hears in the chapter before is that Esau rises with 400 men to meet Jacob. And he doesn't know what to do. Why, is he, why 400 men? You don't need 400 men to greet me. Just come by yourself. So he's worried. And so in the middle of the night, he takes his whole family across this river at Jabbok. Think about it. In the middle of the night, right? What do you do in the middle of the night? Nothing, right? As we get older, we have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. But we don't even like to do that because we're going to stub our toe in that corner of that bed, right? We don't do things even in modern day in the middle of the night because there's no light, so then imagine what must be going through Jacob's mind to take his family across a river and then it seems like he actually goes back across the river to be by himself. Why, why is he by himself? I know when I'm by myself, when I want to be alone, when I need my alone time, when I need to figure things out. And then we, we, we read. It's in this, verse 24. And Jacob left, was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Jacob was left alone. A man enters the scene and wrestles with him. Verse 25, And the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, referring to Jacob's pride, not his strength. And we know this because it continues on. He, God, touched his, his hip socket, and Jacob's hip 
was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. That word in the Hebrew is literally touch. So it's very clear this man is the one that encounters him. And that's prayer. God is the one that encounters you. God encounters you. You start going through this situation in life. You're struggling. And the reason we struggle so much is because of our pride. And then, verse 26, through that, through this touch, Jacob realizes that he's not just wrestling any man. Maybe some sort of divine being, maybe an angel, maybe even God. And so he says this in verse 26, Let me go for the day has broken. Right? He just wants to be let, uh, the, the man wants to, be, wants to uh, be let go by Jacob. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So this divine being listens. You want to be blessed? He said to him, what is your name? Does this man, divine being, know who Jacob is? Do you think this angelic being or God himself enters into a fight with this person and doesn't know his name? No, he knows his name. So then why does this angelic being or God himself ask? It was a moment that Jacob had to decide, if you want to be blessed, you have to be honest with yourself, you have to be honest with God. Because Jacob means deceiver, and he's deceived his whole life. This was a moment in this, this interaction with God, saying, 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 Jacob was saying, bless me. And divine saying, you want to be blessed? Who are you? Honestly, who are you? And he says, I am Jacob. I am a deceiver. And it's after this, verse 28, you shall, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Verse 30, this is what Jacob says, For I have seen God face to face, and yet his, my life has been delivered. When Jacob prays that prayer, he probably doesn't fully understand what he's asking for. God bless me. Maybe he's thinking, God bless me from Esau and the 400 men. Protect me. Maybe he's praying, God, not just protect me, but give me a good life with a lot of wealth and resources. And God's saying, you want to be blessed? Be honest with me. When you're honest with me, I can then work in your heart. And it's in that moment God reveals himself to Jacob. And that's why Jacob says, I have seen God face to face and I am still alive. What this shows us is this. The blessing that Jacob was searching for was found when he found God. Right? Blessing is not about getting things from God. Blessing is about getting God. Blessing is not about getting things from God. Blessing is about getting God. And that's when you can truly pray this prayer, your kingdom come. Because prayer stops being about give me all these things. Prayer starts being about God. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Because in that street of prayer, you're always going the wrong way. 
Sometimes you encounter God, sometimes you don't. The reason is because you're often going the wrong way. That's why prayer seems so ineffective so often, because you're praying for things, but you're still going the wrong way. You're on that street of prayer going the wrong way. And the arrow is, God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done here in my life. See, prayer is not about getting God to further your kingdom and your will. Prayer is about furthering, God furthering his kingdom and his will. If that is your heart, you will find prayer to be a joy. Because as you're being honest with God, as you start to be, as you're honest with all your struggles, all your idols, all the ways in which it's about your kingdom, that's when you can go to God and God will show you, no, don't pray that prayer. No, God, let me, let me, God will say, let me lead you in this direction. And you start to see what God is doing in prayer. It's the place where God's kingdom needs to reign. And that's what prayer is about. And then, then how do we even pray that prayer when we don't even desire it? You have to see the glory of God's kingdom. You have to. You have to see the glory of God, the glory of the king, the glory of the kingdom. And when you see the glory of his, of his, of his kingdom, what you start to see is how paltry, how small, how meager, how insignificant your kingdom is. Right? A lot of my friends live in California. They often say, those who move to California, when, they, when you move to California, you realize, why live in any part of the world? Right? I'm from Chicago. It's cold. Right? Weather is super hot and, and humid over in the summer, very cold over the winter. All my Chicago friends that move to California are like, why live anywhere else? Right? But for those who just have only seen Chicago, they're like, oh, Chicago's great, and Chicago is not bad. But when you see the world, you realize, oh, there's so many other great places to live. And that's us in our kingdoms, right? Where you are a king, you are a queen, and you rule, and you seems pretty good, right? You've got your little ways, and you like it when people do things for you, and you are acknowledging, oh, this is nice. I can get used to this. And you continue to then grow your reputation, grow your resources about my kingdom and my way. But once you visit California, right, you're like, oh, what have, I, what have I been living for? And that's it. You will continue to live for your small, right, meager, insignificant kingdom until you see the glory of God's kingdom. Revelation 21. A picture of, of heaven coming down here on earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So it's a place that God has prepared for his people. God himself, in his wisdom, and his power has prepared a place for his people. And it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with, him, with, with them as their God. He will wipe away 
every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is what we're praying for. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, isn't that an interesting word, the cowardly? I think those who aren't honest with themselves, those who fear giving up their security, right? But for the cowardly, the faithless, the, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Our kingdom is characterized by these words, right? Detestable, faithless, cowardly. These are the people that rule these kinds of kingdoms. But God's kingdom is one where it's everlasting. It's glorious. Something that you want to be a part of. For in God's kingdom, there is restoration. There is healing. It's a real love, a real purpose, a real life, a meaning that lasts, a hope that endures, a peace that flourishes, a goodness that is right and beautiful. When you think about the glory of his kingdom, you can't help but to pray, your kingdom come. No more of our meager kingdoms. Because our kingdom does not restore, right? At best, we patch things up and it breaks down again. Healing? Yes, we pray for healing, but we know even with someone that's healed, there's later on some sort of destruction, decay, disease, death. Right? Love, purpose, life, fleeting in our kingdoms. You find one joy and it fades. There's meaning, but then you start to realize quickly it's vain. It's futile. There's a futility to it. There's an expiration date on everything in our kingdom. Hope, it's merely wishful thinking, is it not? Peace. Peace is best described in our kingdom as a moment when there's no chaos. It's like a mist disappears. Goodness, take a good look around the world and we start to see what our kingdoms are about. Do you see the best kingdom we can create does not compare to God and his kingdom. But so often we are like the blind, building our own little kingdoms, never truly having experienced the world thinking, this is what I want. God, give me this job and this, this salary and this reputation. and That's what we long for. When God is saying, don't live for such meager, insignificant kingdoms. 
And this idea of a king, that God being king, goes back to the beginning, but specifically I want to go to 1 Samuel 8. Because I want you to see not just how glorious God's kingdom is, I want you to see very, very, very clearly how meager, insignificant, worthless our kingdoms are and our kings are. In 1 Samuel 8, is when the people of God, the Israelites, were asking for a new king. And this is God's reply to them. You want a new king? Verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. And he said, he said, these will be the ways of the king who reigns over you. Now this describes Every king and kingdom that is not God's kingdom and God is king. It says, this king, he will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. Verse 13 continues on. And this idea of take is repeated over and over as it talks about our kings and our kingdoms. He will take your daughters to be perfumers. Verse 14, he will take the best of your fields. Verse 15, he will take the tenth of your grain. And verse 16, he will take your male servants, your female servants, the best among you. Verse 17, he will take the tenth of your flock and ye shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your kingdom of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. Do you see why we must pray this prayer? Because our kingdoms and our kings always take, always destroy, always use. But God and his kingdom, it lasts. Because he is a king that gives. Not just gifts, he gives himself. Philippians 2. Though he was the form of God, he did, not, he did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you see the difference of the two kingdoms and the two kings? When we serve as king, we take and take and take. And that is why our prayers are so often about me. God, give me this, because we're taking. We're taking it from God. We're taking it from each other. But God, when he is king, he gives to us. And when he gives to us and you receive from him, you give to others. And this is a picture of the glorious kingdom. When you pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying, God, you reign, you be king. And the way we do that is by getting off the throne and letting God rule in our hearts and our lives. Let's pray. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, 
on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.